Hi there and welcome to the Book Realities Podcast, a series of interviews with independently minded authors where we explore their books, their writing techniques, and what made them become a writer in the first place. I'm your host, Ian Hooper, and as well as being an independent author, I also run the Book Reality Experience. Hi everybody and welcome to another of our Book Realities, our interviews with independent authors series. And this time round we're joined by Mark Friday. G'day Mark, how are you? Hello, yeah, I'm great, thank you. Thanks for having me. No worries. Um, now, for anybody that isn't aware of what Mark Friday does with regards to being an author, tell us all about yourself. Where are you talking to us from? So I'm talking to you from St. Ives, but not the one everyone knows. There's another one in Cambridgeshire. Uh, I have to keep explaining that to people to think I've come a long way on any particular day. Um, so we're about 60 miles north of London, uh, quite near Cambridge, and it's a nice little market town. Yeah. So is that the St. Ives of the Rhyme, or is Cornwall St. Ives? Well, they, they do say that around here, that it's definitely us. They're quite keen to, uh, to, to lay that claim to fame, if you like. And I think the other St. Ives is quite happy to let us do it. So, yeah, I think that's ours. Oh, very good. So you <laughs> have written a couple of books, but you've also written other things from books. But let's talk about your books first. What are your books about and what are they to do with? Um, I've got two books called. It's in the series called Tales from the Red Line. The Red Line being the pub that in which the books are set, um, and it's called the Red Line because that's the most popular pub name in England. And we, well, I wanted it to be feel like the reader was in their pub. It was going to be a typical place, so it's, it's not really described in great detail. It's what I want the reader to sort of imagine it, it being their pub, either the one that I actually like. Or, or one that they imagine they wish they had. And there's two books that are set there. So really, the, the pub is the, the stage. It was kind of like the first idea I had to sort of write. I was, I was actually sitting in a pub thinking, oh, what should I write next, you know? And I, I, I wish I could tell you that it was just this light bulb moment that happened immediately, but it was probably about four pints later where I thought, oh, I could write about the bit, because I was hearing things like in the background, you know, sort of great stories coming out of them. I should just sort of, I could write about this. But after a while, it, it, it's sort of, yeah, it's okay to sort of write write about or in a pub, but about what? So it's, it's just the stage. So even though, like, I do make a play on it, there's lots of, um, uh, there's, there's a lot of love for the British pub and that institution and also explaining it, getting into all that in the books, but it's not really what they're about. Each each one of them has a central spine that of like, okay, there's the stage. Here's this guy, that man down the pub, that's a quintessential figure in British society. And like, um, well, what's 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 happening with it? And that's that's the important thing really. Um so maybe the the, the pub and the drinking idea, all that, it's it's it, it is important because in many ways it's a love letter to this sort of great institution. But it's not the reason we're here. We actually, as you read the books, you sort of find out what's going on in the lives of the people there. And that that's the important thing. You said they're a love letter to the pub. I find mm. the first book especially is the the main character's father has got dementia. Yeah. And so that's the spine of the first book. So once we're really in the pub and meet this guy, what's happening with him, that's happening with him. And then we explore that. Yeah. 
And it turns out to be a love letter between fathers and sons. I find it really poignant because very yeah, it's a very British <laughs> issue. Well, I, I don't know if it's very British or not. I watched I watched the rerun of Ted Lasso. Um, I, mm. I watched Ted Lasso again uh, over the last couple of days, which I find the writing superb. But the British characters, the American characters, especially the male characters within it, all have issues with their uh, parents, usually the fathers and sons. And it reminded me of your book, or your book reminded me of it, because yeah. your central character and his father, how that central relationship is dealt with by him going down the pub and having a drink with his mates, um, mm-hmm. is is really well handled. And that okay. was in the first book. So the second book, without giving away too many spoilers, um, deals with what... So the the central spine of that, although it is a sort of a continuing story to a certain degree, although I did have a sort of a thought experiment, like if you read them backwards, like a different order, would that still work? And I thought, yeah, it would actually. So, um, But that's kind of like an accident, I guess, more than the design. But that's, yeah, the central theme of that book is, is really some mental health issues, male mental health issues, really. I wanted to get into that. Um, I was just sort of looking... It's also making me think, well, what, you know, if I do write another one, what will be that central spine? That's kind of what I'm missing at the moment, I guess. But I think um, both those issues of, of you know, ageing parents, dementia, and then uh, particularly male mental health issues around emotional repression and just not talking about things. The big, big topics at the time, say, on, on talk radio, um, uh, which is a good source of, of inspiration, Um uh, and they just sort of came out of me. It was like, yeah, that's, you know, you look across, if you're in the pub and you look across to someone there, just sitting there, and you're like, imagine what might be happening to that person, person's life, you know. Those two things kind of came out as being, yeah, they, these are things that we should be writing about and shine a light on. Because um, I think the whole reason behind the books is trying to humanise that quintessential person down the pub. And it could be a cafe or wherever you might see people just sitting there on their own. I think the, the temptation is to think that their problems are less weighty than yours and that you you are a more rounded person than they are. I mean, it's, it's almost like you can you can make your problems seem massive and theirs will be, oh, they'll be okay, I'm sure they'll be fine, even if they look sad, be like, they'll be all right tomorrow, just imagine that. Kind of easy to do that. So I wanted to sort of like the books to be a counterpoint to that, of going like, really getting to know this guy really well and to and to flesh out all of his uh the, the pleasures and the pains in, of his life to be to be like feel real and full so that next time you see someone out there in the pub or the cafe you feel a bit more like a connection to them although you feel a bit more even if you don't say hello to them at all but you sort of look across and you think they're as real as me you know and that that's that's it's sort of call to empathy, if you like. That sounds a little bit overblown because it's actually a bit more fun than that. But um, but that was really the driving force behind why 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 write why write anything. You know what what would be the point? What do I want people to feel at the end of it? I want them to be entertained for sure, and maybe learn a little bit, bit about this culture. But I also would like to feel that like, you know I move people in a particular way, and, and we can learn something a little deeper about ourselves through it, even though it's not. It doesn't feel like a deep book. It, it, it tries to do that in a, in a natural way. 
Well, I've got to yeah. say from the first time I read the first book, I mean, there are laugh out loud moments in it. So it's not, it, it does deal with serious subjects, but it's not doom and gloom. It's not a psychological. Yeah. Um, it's like the night out basically. You, you go over those peaks and troughs of yeah. the night. You know? And it's funny. And there are, there are moments where you, you identify that, oh God, I was that man in the pub at some point before, you know, before his mates turn up, you're sitting on your own in the pub and you think, yeah, I've, I've been there. I've done that. So the first one came out around about the same time as I first became aware of the Are You OK movement. And the second one came out at the first time that I became aware of the campaign against living miserably calm. Now, you got involved with both of those, didn't you? Um, yeah, there was, there was St. Ives had a... Um... That they got together with Calm to try and create a calm town. We sort of just sort of formalise uh, you know, a series of events and or regular events within within Saint Ives itself to be a safe space for people to come and talk. Uh, yeah, there were some initial meetings around that and see what ideas we could do. Things like walks and cafe things. I was I was trying to get something set up to have sort of you know regular come talk to us tables in pubs, but never really got that off the ground. I think people were a bit worried about doing that in pubs. Um, so I don't know why, um, but that isn't something that, that sort of came came out through Calm. So they, they do other things in, in, in the town. Of course, the Calm nationally does, does a lot of things, but the idea of the Calm town, I think, will become a wider event, not just in St. Ives. I mean, it's interesting that now I come from the northeast of England, and uh, even though I've lived lived in London since I was 18 and then St. Ives after that. The idea of of, of creating a, a group to make your town friendly and welcoming is quite alien to where I came from because that's what it is. Everyone's like, no, not everyone, but you know, that's basically how towns work in my part of the country. So it seemed odd to me that there was people trying to sort of formalise and create things to, to force this sort of friendliness into the at the you know a town in you know southeast of England when a lot of places think well we already do that that's, that's how we are so we are I think we, actually, we are friendly yeah I think actually genuinely that there was big cultural differences in different parts of the country I've lived in various parts of the country and you do feel them um and and St Ives is somewhere in the middle I would think of being you know somewhere like Newcastle really really friendly london being terrible <laughs> terribly lonely place to be if you don't know people and st ives is sort of somewhere in the middle and i found out actually when i moved here that no one really um would, would come up to you and be friendly with you but if you got all northern on them and, and friendly to them they'd be quite happy with it you know so they're sort of like in in the middle um uh, but it can be a bit exhausting if if you're not having your best day and you've got to make the effort all the time to sort of get something going. And I guess what um, Calm Town would, would help do is that if you weren't feeling, you know, you, you could make that that push to, to make something happen, you could go to one of these events and, and someone would be there to, you know, be that person for you. And we should say uh, that, the, the, I mean, I lived in St. Ives for a long time and the people are wonderful. They're not, they're not aggressive. They're not, um, they're not yeah. not friendly. It's just the difference between... I guess, Northern Ireland and Newcastle, where you're walking down the street and complete strangers are going, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? How's things? 
and you can strike up conversations all the way down to London, where if you try and strike up a conversation on the tube, people will look at you like you're an alien. Um, and you're right, St. Ives is somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Um, so it's a, St. Ives is somewhere in between. Well, that's where, that's where um, you know, movements like that can, uh, you know, benefit people um, who do do need, who, who haven't got that push to uh, generally or, or on that a given day. Uh, and perhaps when you're feeling at your lowest, you don't have that push and you do need someone to sort of come to you and, and help you. And, you know, that can provide a space where that's more likely to happen. Um, Very good. But, right. but yeah, but it's, 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 an odd, it's sort of like, it's an odd concept considering what I was used to and where I came from and I, um, of having to sort of formalise that. But, uh, but having lived in London for like 15 years, I can see that, you know, there's definite need for it in, in other places. Um, in the books, in a, in a, in a you know different way, that they they, they 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 highlight that, um, but also they, they 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 strike out the importance of these places. So a good pub is one where you can go you you can go on your own, and most of the time you'll end up striking up a decent conversation with someone. And it's very strange how some pubs do that and others don't. And it could be the culture of the landlords. It could be this, just the, the pure shape of it or the, the location, the type of people that go there, the things they sell. All of these things will sort of mold together into one of, the, of like, is this going to be, you know, a, a good, friendly pub or not? And there were, there were pubs in St. Ives that I, I like, but some you, you only ever go to if you bring your mates. Because if you go there on your own, you will stay there on your own. You won't, no one will talk to you. Um, until after like maybe four hours and everyone's a bit drunk and then then you might get a conversation well, that's a bit of a wait but, but there are other pubs where you can go in and something will happen nine times out of ten and um, and I, I wanted to talk about those places because they exist everywhere and they're already that they're already a resource to get people talking and, and deal with that loneliness we've already i mean it's great that that you know calm town and the saint ives are, are doing what they're doing but we've already got a lot of that even in the less friendly parts of the country because the good purpose is a place where people can find that, that sanctuary and um and battle that loneliness and um, they're really important of course they're under threat as well so um there are places like that so when you were saying that you came from the Northeast, were you always a writer in the Northeast? Did you go to London to be a writer or what's what's your career yeah. pathway? Well, I knew you were going to ask me that. So I was thinking about that before over breakfast. Um, I, do you know what? I, at school, I, I, the thing I loved doing the most was about in um, English when you would take, given the, I think we called them essays at the time, because it's a remarkably dry word for continuing leaps of creative fantasy where you just got given a line or a phrase or maybe a very short premise and like off you go with it and then you would write write that up but I was made I was all very concise in my schoolwork just want to get it out of the way but these I would just write and write and I would you know double the length of whatever else I was doing loved doing that so it's kind of like it was quite obvious that I was I should be a writer or keep up with the writing but I must say I didn't get any encouragement I got a lot of good marks, and then that's it. 
And I went on this wild flight of fancy for one essay, and I was actually pulled up in class, and it was read out as a as a ridicule of "Don't do this," you know, this is too much. And this basically, I was writing about this guy who was seeing things. You know, there's a mental health thing probably before I was thinking about mental health as an issue, but it was he just didn't get it, and then rather than talk to me about it he decided to humiliate me in the class about it, which was a really rotten thing to do. I sort of like batted it off at the time, but I think it must have really sunk into me. And um, I didn't really, when I left school, I didn't do any writing. I mean, one of those reasons, I mean, I was having a lot of fun in London, I guess, but also I was, um, I was in a band, so a lot of the writing went into songs. Um, so for quite a long time, I wrote, wrote a lot of songs, performed those. Uh, and that's sort of like, I suppose the creative element is like a valve. I've got to let the pressure out and write something. And it took me, but I think that sort of, you know, when it comes to writing a longer form story, I think I think maybe that school experience, it's sort of like still hanging around me. It took quite a while to, really, to get that out of my system. And I think what I just needed a little push. And I, I had um, written, co-written a sitcom script with a friend because he wanted to do it. And um, he he did most of the writing. I I helped, but that sort of like got me thinking. Oh, I can I could do this. But when we finished that, um, there was that there was that moment. I was in the pub thinking, oh right, what we're going to do next? And we thought, well, we'll do what we'll do. We'll do each do our own things. We had our own ideas, but we would support each other and swap ideas and you know be that sort of second reader sort of thing. And that's, that's when I got the, I was just listening over he, hearing in the pub and I thought, well, I could, it's a, you know, write what you know. And I thought, well, I know this culture quite well. And I just started collect. I didn't really have an idea in mind what I was going to do with that at the time. It could have been a script, but I, I, I just start collecting stories. I would just get your phone out, write everything down. Cause there's one thing you can guarantee that story you're going to remember the next day. You will not remember that, especially if you're at a pub. So write it down. You, you get it. Write it down. Write it down. And I had all this stuff, and I thought, like, oh yeah, this could, this, this is actually, this is a novel, you know, in the making. And that was that moment. Where I thought, oh right. So it was almost like in stages. I sort of came to, from writing smaller pieces to to the right. This is all right. This is my time to write the novel. I uh, I got a little bit stuck. I think I've got a couple of chapters in. Thought this is doing all right. And then I got that moment. Maybe you've had this where you, you see the end of the book and it's too far away and it's too big and it gets like, um, oh, God, I'll never make that. And then um, I was talking to another friend about all this and this sort of came up with very sensible advice of like, just, just do one chapter at a time. You can do a chapter, can't you? So they, yeah, I'll do a chapter. And of course, once you've done, you know, however many, 12 for me, maybe 20, um, you've, you have got that book. But if you looked up and saw, you know, to try and get to the end, it's like, mm, no. Um, and, once and once I'd done that once, I knew I could do it. So the second time on the second book, it was, it did take me longer, but I was much more confident that I would get there. But I think with the first book, you never know you're going to get there until you literally have got to the end because you might fall at any point. I don't know if that may, is that something that other writers have felt or... My first book, I got halfway through the second part of it and ran into a problem but that was more about me procrastinating about not being able to get to the end when you've written the second book though i thought there was going to be a third but then of course we ran into all sorts of issues like pandemics etc 
Uh, but before we leave the books, there's one thing that you do within the books, which is a little quirk, but it's to do with the real ales of the English pub system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's funny because it's, it's it's a bit different now. But one of the one of the having having when I've travelled to different parts of the country, there tends to be like what one or two beers that you can have, and then in 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 England, Britain, there's there's dozens and dozens of choices now. This isn't really true anymore. Actually, things have moved on. So the the, the idea of a of a craft beer and small breweries is global now. This is this amazing thing. But about when those books were set, one of the things about the pub you could go in and you would find something you'd never seen there before. They might not, you know, you'd never see there again, and you could drink it and enjoy it. And there was probably not much point knowing much more about it because it was going to be a very fleeting relationship. And they would all have very strange names because it would come out at you. And I wanted to I sort of uh, the, the creativity of that of, of the naming of these these beers was good. And I sort of had in my mind that well, I can't I don't really want to use real ones, so I'll, I'll name my own. And then sort of the, the self confidence comes in, or lack of rather, comes in, go like, well, there's been like thousands of breweries naming tens of thousands of beers for years now. Like, can't be any names left, can there? And then I thought as I was just whenever I was just writing, 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 I would say like. Right, he's bought a pint of. Don't stop, just keep writing. And then you can always change it later. And I rarely did. Just whatever popped out in my head. And it was sometimes, it was never on the nose to do with the scene we're in, but it's more like a little scant sort of reference to it. I mean, there's one, one of the more obvious references, I guess, was that he, he orders a pint of Dutch Courage um, because he is going on a date later. Um, so that, that's kind of one of the more obvious ones. Oh, there's, gosh, there's loads. Uh, but I, I had fun with them, yeah. So there must be dozens of those in the book. And I, I actually, a friend of mine offered to check them all on Google and see if any of them were actual beers, and there were none. It was all... <laughs> I didn't have any copyright issues whatsoever. It was uh, quite a relief. That, that was great. Yeah, um, they, and they I did chuckle I, as I went through the that. book. They're really cool. I did enjoy that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's, it's something. Yeah, it's the, the 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 beer drinkers around who've read this um, tend to quite enjoy enjoy that. I always they wish they could have a pint of that, but of course they can't because as long as they don't go into pubs asking for them. <laughs> no. <laughs> They'd be sadly disappointed, but maybe you know, maybe I should open a brewery and start making some of these. You know, uh, but he would always say, as well as the name, he would always say how 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 strong it was. This is like a mental quirk of Dan the character. He, he would always he would always tell you that was important to him, but how how drunk or not that was going to get him. Um, and uh, I, I, yeah, I, I, I did enjoy that. And when I when I came up with the name, I don't know where they came from. They just sort of pop up in the moment. I came up with a good one. I always felt quite satisfied, almost <laughs> as satisfying as writing a good scenes in, in a perverse sort of way. I was just like, yeah, that's a good name. So you said that you got to about halfway through, and then you ran into a bit of a problem, and then you took it chapter by chapter. And the fact that the beer names popped into your head by inspiration. I'm assuming, therefore, that you're a bit more of a, a punster rather than a planner with regards to where your novels are going. Yeah, somewhere in between, I guess, but probably nearer the pants than the plan. Um, I, so there is a spine to, 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 the, to the books, 
um, of like, I want to talk about certain subjects and I, I know a few key things are going to happen. Um, but how we get there and how an actual scene will develop around that, I tend not to have any idea or, or, or want to have any idea. It's sort of, it's odd when you're in the right space, you're sort of writing this and you go like, right, in this, so let's say Dan's in the park meeting his dad and I need to say a couple of things in this chapter and that's about it. And I've already planned, that is probably the extent of the whole book being planned in the sense that each, I know each chapter is going to have a couple of things in it and that's probably about it. And of course, some of that might even change as you go through and come up with something better. But, you know, there is a plan, but it's quite a small one. And then how they sit down, how they meet, what they talk about to get there, no idea. And it'll just, it, you just you just head off. And you know you've got a couple of turns to make and that's it. And, and you, how do you get there? And that that's that's how it really just came out. I just sort of, you sit yourself in that place and imagine it and keep writing. And I think my... my my fingers work about the same pace as my brain or similar. Um, so that, that's quite useful. So it also come, you don't get ahead of yourself or behind yourself and it kind of can flow quite naturally. I guess I never thought about that before. Really, That's probably quite useful. Um, my typing speed's about the right, not very fast, but about the right speed for the ideas coming out, which is quite useful. I was going to say the frustrating thing about that is if you're not in that zone, there's nothing coming out. So you do sort of rely on something you can't entirely control. It's a bit of a shame. But, but yeah, when, when I was in, in, in that zone of writing the books, it would just, yeah, it just, just came out. It's interesting. When I was asked how I came up with mine, I said it was more like growing a strawberry plant. I had a framework and I had a couple of touch points that I knew that I had to hit. But the actual shape of the final plant was all over the shop. It went on its own. But they did stick to the points. They ended up at the right places, but it yeah. grew uh, in its own in its own design. So after you'd finished the second book, I thought that there was going to be a third, but we ran into a, a strangeness called a pandemic. Yes. And I started seeing you doing back to the music side of life. You were writing a music. Yeah. So, I mean, on my, on my website is the first page of the third book. And we do know there's a, there's a slight spoiler. In that. I won't go further. That's not actually, it's not really a spoiler. But we do sort of, I know where Dan is and what he's doing. But what I don't have is that spine. Like, what do I want to, what's happening in society at the moment that I want to put in this situation and talk about? And I don't really have that at the moment. That, to be honest, that's the thing that's stopping me writing the third but more than anything, it's like, what do I want to get into? And I haven't found that subject that I'm going to, like, I'll fall in love with and, and say, all right, I'm really going to be energised to do this. And talking of energy, I got COVID hit me pretty hard and I um, had brain fog for a while. I've still got the fatigue following it. And that, especially with my writing style, relying on things that are coming out magically, it, it, it didn't for a long time. Um, and I found it quite difficult. And the idea of, of of getting through that novel, even if I get the idea, it was a little more daunting than, say, the second one would have been. But I think if I do get the idea, I will be back into that. And I do want to revisit that again. But I do, first of all, need the idea, and I do need a little bit more energy. I would only get one chapter at a time. That's okay. So instead, I, I, end up, I also, I, um, 
started writing a musical with a friend of mine. I don't particularly like musicals. I do like mine, by the way. I don't like, uh, a bit biased, I don't like musicals. But um, again, I was down the pub. And I do things outside of the pub, by the way. I'm not there all the time. But you know, some, some of the more interesting things have to be done there. And a friend of mine came up to me, and I was in that sweet spot of two pints. So if I haven't had two pints, I won't, I won't be drunk enough to, to entertain your silly ideas. But if I have, like, more then I can't be expected to um, to confirm whatever I agreed to the previous night. You know, in that sweet spot too, he comes up to me, Chris Lewis, and says, um, would you like to write a musical? I've always wanted to write a musical. And he, he'd read my books and he really liked them. And he thought that they would make a great musical. I'm not sure that's true, but just that sort of style and the, real, the realism and the look at society was something he thought, well, I, I could you know, write a musical or something like that. And so, like I said, he caught me at the right moment. I went, Chris, I don't like musicals. He went, yeah, 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 but do you want to write one? I went, yeah, all right, then. <laughs> and then we, we um, it turns out we have great writing relationships together. And we sat down and thought, right, I was quite challenging. I thought, well, why? Why are, why are, these, why are these people bursting out into song? This is ridiculous. And but generally, thought, well, why that? Of course, he's 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 quite steeped in that culture, and, and he would sort of try and look at well, the best ones and what why why that happened. And we came up with the idea of like I write a lot about emotional repression in the in the English British in particular, and I thought, well, this is a good fertile ground for a musical because the script, the spoken words, can. They, they can describe what everyone sees and experiences externally. Like, this is how these people act and operate. The songs are what's going on inside. That's really happening emotionally to them, which may or may not be shared to the other. Some are entirely internal, some are in a grey area in between. About how much of this song is everyone else experiencing? Um, and so that sort of clicked for me. Thought, okay, that's why you would have a musical. Right? Now, most musicals don't justify themselves or even want to be on this just entertaining but we i wanted to go a little bit further than that and so we came up right okay so we've got where can we express emotional repression well, probably a family okay let's have a family blog right and then these things sort of each idea begat the next one in the structure once you have a family what position should they be we didn't want anything like um awful happening to them or because we wanted this to be, we want people who were going there to go, like, oh, yeah, we're a bit like that, you know? And as soon as there's a car chase or a murder or whatever, then people could go like, oh, we're not like that then. And then can stop learning or stop empathising with peace. So we wanted it, though there is a, things do happen. There is plot. I'm not totally averse to plot, but like, <laughs> there, is a bit, there is some plot in it. It's not outlandish. So people can still sort of relate to it. And so we have a family, they're all going through changes. So it's sort of sparked by the father's early retirement and the kids being their age, their teenagers, they're going through changes. And the, they're sort of like quite socially conservative. And so they've always done the right thing, kept their nose clean as, as, as a generation that the, the parents have. And um, they have the ability to change and sort of really think about, well, where did I get them? And they're not very good at telling each other how they're going through all of these changes and what the effect it's having on them. They're just sort of bouncing and scraping off each other, not understanding each other at all. And there is, there is a song right at the end of the first 
who've got a song called um, Why Shouldn't It Be My Way? And they're all singing. They all get a verse each. And then they all sing it at the end, Why Shouldn't It Be My Way? And none of them are listening to each other. Just this, like a separate spotlight at each time. Like, I've done this. They've done that. This is my turn. This is why. Why shouldn't it be my way? And they all sing that. But none of them have heard the other one, the other one's position and don't get it at all. And so it's just the breaking down of those barriers is what the musical's about. So we'd leave it. This is a tightrope. I mean, you, you must get where you get certain plots. Where they think, like, this is a great plot, but it's um, it's causing me problems because if I go this way, it'll won't work. And if I go that way, it won't work. It's got to be right in the middle. And it was one of those that like, we wanted to. It's a musical. We have to allow people leaving happy, right, at the end. But then we don't want to go like, well, tell you what, why don't you all sit down and talk about your problems and everything will be fine. Well, that's not it either. That's not what we want to say. It's not really a useful thing to say either. So we have to find this sort of middle way where we, we they, they, they do confront a certain something and they does open their eyes a little bit and it has improved things a little bit, but there's a lot more to be done. And that's kind of where we end up. And we kind of thought that if we get this right, I think we have, is that the people who see that layer underneath of, of what's going on in the family can get that subtlety and feel quite, you know, fulfilled by that. But the people who are just coming in for a bit of a jolly in a musical will just see that, oh, they're getting on better now. Great. And there's a nice big showstopper song at the end. Um, and uh, and they'll walk out happy, basically. So, so where so, is it? Where is it with regards to production? Yeah, so we we've got done the script and the songs. We, we workshopped it earlier this year with a few local actors and um, a few minor tweaks to the script through that. Um, we got a good idea about staging and blocking what areas we needed. And we actually, what we ended up doing, shortening a lot of the songs as well, because they sounded good in, in, in them like on their own, but when you sort of put them in a scene, it's like, oh gosh, that song's longer than the rest of the scene. That's it doesn't work pacing wise so we've we've done all that and so there's a couple of angles really to go for we we we've we've got it as as a as a pack of you know sound files and the script that we can give out to um theater groups and it's just a question of finding someone who wants to put that on so we're sort of looking around to see if, if anyone wants that um it's remarkably easy to stage and we wrote that um specifically to, for it to be an easy stage. So contemporary sets, very few sets, um, clothes, whatever you whatever you come in, basically. And um, only five people in, in the cast. So, you know, a lot of people should be able to put this on. In terms of the music, you just press play on your sound system. So remarkably easy to do. So we, we're hoping that someone's going to, you know, pick that up um, and then we'll get that stage. But also we, we, we're planning on... on putting that on ourselves in St. Ives in the Corn Exchange. We've got a slot next year, um, hopefully later on in the year, because I'm not quite ready <laughs> yet, to um, to, to put, a, put that on for a few days. Excellent. Um, so we're looking for cast and crew, because you've just got a couple of writers here. Like, you know, we've, we've written the words and the music, but um, we don't really feel like we can act it or direct it. So... So again, it's 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 trying to find local local talent. I mean, sadly, the the local theatre group, which might have just slotted in with us, sort of disbanded a few years ago, and the people in it are scattered to the four winds. So there's there's not that 
and like sometimes I always have a, a group you can just go to and, and talk to about it. Um, St. Ives doesn't have that in the moment, so we've, we will have to go around and, and, and you know just make contacts piecemeal and get something together. Isn't so it yeah, yeah. That local writers have written the musical and St. Ives had Simons for. 50, 60 years, and they only disbanded in the last three or four. So, yeah, bad timing. Yeah, Yeah. bad timing. But, you know, I'm sure sure that we'll be able to find someone listening to this that will go, oh, that's for us. So that shouldn't be a problem. And actually, I mean, it is, it is, we're not really specific about where it's set, but in my mind, it feels a bit like, um, it was originally called, the working title was actually called Home County. For me, it, was, it struck me as being a little bit like Surrey or Hampshire or something like that. Um, you know, those leafy suburbs outside of London where people twitch their neck curtains and are, you know, say socially conservative um, and emotionally repressed. But we actually didn't want it to be that specific in the end. And, and you know what? There's places like that in Newcastle, outside of Newcastle. There's, there's, there's places in Cheshire outside of Manchester. And to be honest, I don't know other cultures well enough, but there are probably places, this is probably a human thing, there are probably places like this outside of any other culture in any other country. So, you know, you could you could make very small tweaks to the script to put it anywhere in the world even. So, like, whoever's listening to this to you now and is kind of interested and think, well, yeah, but we're set in... Earth or Sydney, whatever it doesn't it, even not even a Western culture. You might, there might be something in there um, for you, and, and and deliberately we wrote the script so that anything like that wouldn't require much in the way of change, if at all, to to reset it any any way you liked. Because you know some of these th- themes of sort of generational gaps, and our fifth character who isn't in the family, sort of a bit of an outsider, and like every society has its people who are in and people who are out. Um, so you, we can um, hopefully, you know, any anyone can kind of find find an angle on that and put that on. Yeah, so that's that's quite exciting. But um, I haven't actually written much in the way of a single word on that for a while. It's all a bit admin at the moment with this one. But I was a little bit busy on that. And I was, uh, like I said, I was sort of post-COVID, I was very, very tired. So I turned to um, poetry. So I thought, you know what, I couldn't even do a chapter. I could probably write a poem, you know. I'm not saying poetry is easier because it isn't, but it's sort of like more manageable in my head to do. Okay, this is just a you know a few lines. I can maybe manage manage those. And so I did. I sort of just sort of gear change in my head and start writing poems, which quite actually quite a different experience to writing lyrics, which I did back in my twenties. Quite different. It's interesting, but I also I wanted it to, for me. The poetry was a performance poetry, so I've, I've not collected them, I've not written them down and not thinking at the moment of putting them in a book collection. So they're all on YouTube as a as a performance. And actually Chris, my um, collaborator with the musical, he's done a lot of the music for them, so there's a bit of background music. I was sort of inspired by um, poets like uh, Kay Tempest, beautifully put music behind. It doesn't make it a song. It, it's all about the words and the delivery of the words, but the music sort of backs that up. And we're working together on that. And I've done a couple of them myself on my own. Um, that was a great experience. And so, so they're, they're, they're there to be listened to rather than read for me. I probably would give up on that and put them in a book eventually when I've got enough of them. But I've got enough for a 20-minute set. Um, but again, there's, there's a point to all those. I, want, I wanted it to be a look into 
you know, humanizing people like like I did in the books, you know, and bringing out um, certain uh, various sort of issues in a, in a little way, sort of subtle way. Um, in, in them, there's, there's got to be there's a point to each one, you know. There should be should be something to think about in each one. And these are all on YouTube now. Mm. Yes, that's right. Yes. So what we'll do is we'll put the links to your website where people, if they are interested in the musical, can get in touch. And we'll put the links to your YouTube so that they can go off and look at your. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a tab for each of the sort of projects I'm doing. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, and I'm hoping so next year. Yeah, I mean put the music on i would like to double the poetry set that i've got and when i find that idea that's going to propel the third book i will get onto that as well <laughs> so there's 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 more to come more, more to come um but I'll, I'll have to just do it at the right pace and i found a bit i've sort of um changed my working routine so i've got a bit more time and hopefully energy for it and i'm, I'm looking forward to 2023 as some you know like an opportunity to get to get back in the saddle and 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 um and, and start writing some more because there's a lot more stories to tell there's a lot more stories in there i've got to get them out to get them out well i look forward to it because your first two novels and every other poem and everything that i've read of yours um, has always been hugely entertaining and poignant and has got gravitas. So when I read your books, it's one of those delights because it's funny, it's poignant, and it makes you think, and it it can be sad, and it can be funny within the space of a page. So, um, yeah, here's hoping to the third Thank you. That is absolutely what I aim to do, so it's very nice when someone gets it. Um, so I'm grateful for that thanks Ian no worries Mel. Um, now we usually try and end with a series of quick fire questions mm-hmm. so are you up for these? I'm ready excellent author of the Red Line novel series and the musical Let's Call a Meeting and various YouTube poems what's your favourite book? it's definitely by Kurt Vonnegut and I guess Slaughterhouse-Five is the obvious one. It could be Breakfast of Champions, but let's go for Slaughterhouse-Five. And if you've got one, what is your least favourite? Yeah, I've rarely not finished a book. Well, even if I've not enjoyed it, I'll, I'll read it, <laughs> you know. But I could not get through Gravity's Rainbow by Thomas Pynchon. Really couldn't deal with that. And I was very happy when I put that down and gave up. Emotionally or creatively, uh, what turns you on? Empathy. And conversely, what turns you off? Uh, cruelty, needless cruelty. Punching down at, at a group or uh, one issue is, I don't like that. Okay. Um, Summer or winter? I'm going to be, con- I'm, I'm gonna, it's actually spring and autumn, both together, wrapped up. I just like that in-between bit. Yeah, sorry. No, that's quite all right. Mine's autumn. I completely concur with you. <laughs> On a completely free day to do anything you want, who mm. do you spend it with? My, I would spend it with my dogs and then go to the pub and see my friends. Nice work. Mountains or oceans? Mountains, close. What is your favourite movie? That's too difficult. That will change all the time. <laughs> oh, goodness me. Probably the movie I've watched the most 
and only because it's just a little happy. I'm not saying it's the best movie by any means, but I've seen The Fifth Element loads of times because it's just this joyous bit of fun. So one of my friends said to me, "That's a, it's a it's it's style over substance," and I went, "Yeah." And that's great. <laughs> and, and it's just, uh, there's probably another film that has moved me more deeply than that, without a doubt. But it's just so much money cheering up and just escaping for a couple of hours. The fifth element um, is is the one. I yeah. mean, what's not to like about an opera singing Alien with tentacles and tubes? You know? You've got that reference, then you know the one I mean. <laughs> for anybody that doesn't get that reference, they're going to have to Google it. Now, speaking of music, what one song to listen to for the rest of your life? That would be Carolyn's Fingers by the Cocteau Twins, because it's just so breathtakingly beautiful, but also crescendo, the guitars in crescendo, Elizabeth Fraser's vocals, and it's just, and, and there's no lyric to it. it. She sings in a different mad language, so almost you can like put any words that might fit your moment onto that. And it's it always hits the spot, that one. And who makes you laugh the most? Who makes? Probably Eddie Izzard, I think. His his delivery, while flights of fancy, but also he has a strong sense of, of empathy and no cruelty about him at all, like we were saying before. He's just, he, hit, he hits the spot. Yeah, superb. Good work. What smell do you love? Uh, the fur of a of my dog or cat at the time, I think. There's one particular cat I had called Jerry, and she just, you know, couldn't smell her. And it wasn't an, an obvious smell. It was just beautiful. I still, still remember that now, yeah. And what uh, smell do you hate? What smell do I hate? Well, that would be something like, I, mean, I was going to say pineapple, but then, you know, if someone had, spewed up pineapple that would probably be worse so yeah so mm, yeah probably sort of pineapple vomit would probably be the, the top of the list in that case <laughs> well it's specific um there's a bit <laughs> other than a writer what profession would you like to attempt Ooh, do you know what i've never actually found <laughs> anything else that i'm quite kind of keen on but you know I was in a band for a bit and I really did enjoy that and being up on stage and I'm doing a little bit of that with the poetry now so yeah I guess I guess I'd like to be a singer-songwriter even at my age I'd, I'd quite like to do that again yeah okay and what profession would you not like to do do you know what actually anything anything that was public facing like retail or in a shop or something because then it, I just come across I love people, but when you're in, you're in control about who you can meet and who you, you don't have to interact with, that's perfect. But when you've got some sort of public-facing world where you don't and you have to interact with everybody, that would I wouldn't like that. And if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? I would like to hear him say, this is still a work in progress. We're all learning here. Mark, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, mate. Um, good luck with the projects for next year and good Thank luck you. with the musical and um, all things being well. I'll see you in a few months when I'm over in Cambridgeshire. Fantastic. And we'll have a beer in the pubs in which I wrote those books.
I look forward to it. And <laughs> not just maybe the sweet spot of two. <laughs> no, no, there's, there's more. There's more. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you then. Excellent. Okay. Thanks very much, man. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening to this latest episode of Book Realities, our interviews with authors series. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and turn your notifications on so that you never miss any content updates from us. If you liked this episode, leave us a rating or a review as it really helps the podcast's visibility, as does passing the pod on to any writers or author friends that you may have who you know will be interested in it. And join our exclusive mailing list at www.bookreality.com. The next episode will be released this time next week, but until then, stay safe and well. All the best.